We are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, But even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans in the South. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. We're only seen as a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shooting, the violence, that is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. I am waiting to speak with an old friend. That's what that beeping is there. Raymond Buckley, who is currently chair of the New Hampshire Democratic Party. He and I have known each other, oh, for some 30 years, probably more than that, actually. He uh, managed my own unsuccessful campaign for Congress back in 1986, and he has been chair of the New Hampshire Democratic Party for quite some time, been through an awful lot of presidential elections. And here we are just a few days away from the election itself, and uh, there's a lot to speak to him about. I don't know how many elections he's been through. Well, we've known each other for, oh my goodness, most of a uh, half century. <laughs> so, no, only about 30 years. I was saying earlier, uh, Raymond uh, ran my unsuccessful campaign for Congress back in 1986. Hard to believe it was 30 years ago. How many presidential uh, campaigns have you been through as chair of the New Hampshire Democratic Party? Oh, three. 2008, 2012, 2016. That's right. Yeah, but you've been around for a while. I guess we're both yes. veterans. And yes. it's it's great to have you with us and to get your perspective on things. I I wonder about how different the campaign, the presidential campaign of 2016 is. It seems to me, and maybe I'd love to get your viewpoint on this, it seems that most of the time each candidate puts forward his, and so far it's always been a his, uh, vision of what can be done to address the problems that we as Americans face. This year, I mean, there's always some negatives, you know, like, He's bad on this. He's bad on that. But I, it seems to me, it's the focus has been almost entirely on the negatives of the opponent. What's your sense on this? Is this something new? Do you think, or or, or am I just is my perspective incorrect? Well, I I think that for uh, decades uh, there have been a a pattern. uh, That um, the public generally wants to change. Uh, after eight years of any one political party. Uh, only uh, George H.W. Uh, Bush uh, being elected in 88 broke that cycle uh, since FDR. Uh, and so there's a, a natural inclination for the public to want to vote for the opposite um, uh, candidate, uh, all things being equal. Uh, clearly, things are not equal uh, this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have... Uh, a race for the presidency that's uh, certainly for the history books. Um, we've never nominated a 
uh, a woman for President of the United States, certainly uh, somebody who had been uh, Secretary of State and uh, former First Lady, U.S. Senator. Uh, and we've never, you know, uh, nominated uh, a reality uh, show uh, host uh, on, on the other side. And, and uh, uh, the claim to fame uh, by uh, Donald Trump of, of promoting the birther movement uh, over the for the last uh, you know five six years, um, I, I think laid out um, for this this race to be uh, this unusual. Um, there was another poll that was just uh, released today about uh, the percentage of of uh, uh, many of the the folks not supportive of of uh, Hillary. Um, having some resentment of some sort uh, towards women. And so, I mean, there's just all sorts of really uh, interesting psychological things that are going on in this election that made it so different and so strange. And, and I don't think uh, one that we will ever see again uh, in our lifetime. This just happened to have been just a... Uh, uh, a perfect storm of, mm. of, of mm. an odd situation. <laughs> and like a perfect storm in that movie, it's ugly. It's really yeah. ugly. People want it to end. They really do. It's been going on for a long, long time. And the negativity, it, it just seems, I don't know what Trump is for. I, you know, I, I think uh, people may not know what Hillary Clinton is actually for. They just, you know, he's bad, she's bad on this particular issue or that particular issue, not even on issues, just who they are. And, you know, I wonder, th there's many different aspects of this, of course. That's why uh, some political consultants make as much money as they do, because there's so many aspects to it. The enthusiasm gap. Let's face it, there was a tremendous amount of enthusiasm for Bernie Sanders, who, as you know, I supported very strongly in the primary season. Now, what a surprise. I'm for Hillary Clinton. we we got to win. But what about, is there an enthusiasm gap among white people in particular? My sense is among Hispanics, among blacks, there's a lot of support for Hillary Clinton. She's seen as a clear ally on issues of concern to those uh, subgroups. But what about, I mean, and, and white men, it's clear that, that the majority of white men, unfortunately, seem to be for Trump. Is, I think the numbers should be there to elect Hillary Clinton. But what about any kind of enthusiasm gap? What, what do you see on this? Your perspective, I'm sure, is uh, better than mine. Well, I wouldn't say that, but, uh, you know, th there was the, that question around enthusiasm gap for Obama in 2012. And while people were not as excited as 2008 to get out the vote, uh, they still did. Uh, and uh, with this rapidly uh, changing um, election, uh, where uh, you're seeing dramatic uh, dives and rises in the, yeah. uh, in the poll, that... Uh, in the polls that, that I'm not really sure if I would trust, uh, you know, any uh, one poll about enthusiasm gap because it, there are so many polls, especially yeah. uh, here in New Hampshire. Uh, people are getting polled three, four, five times uh, a night, yeah. uh, and they're just simply not answering the phones anymore. Uh, for some of us that have Comcast, it actually says, oh, such and such, uh, you know, polling or uh, research firm, ah. you know, right on our television screen, and we're like, huh, I'm not picking that one up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
It's true. We are always right in the center. And, and you know, since we have the electoral college system, the, you know, it's, it's whoever gets 270 electoral votes becomes the next president. And Florida has 29 electoral votes. We have just four, but it's a pretty important four. And Florida is a swing state. New Hampshire is a swing state. For those who, who may not know, and, you know, that we have technically four candidates. We have, obviously, Clinton and Trump, but there's also uh, Stein and uh, who's the other one there? I can't think of it. Johnson. Oh, yes, Gary Johnson. The There are some Bernie Sanders supporters, uh, you know, Bernie or bust people who may be voting for Jill Stein. And New Hampshire is in a unique position to clarify for them what that might mean. Specifically, we're thinking of 2000. Uh, maybe you could uh, just talk about, about that a little bit and what uh, people who may be voting for Gary Johnson or Jill Stein may want to take into account. Well, uh, I, I think that one only has to look across the river uh, to Maine uh, to see the fact that uh, <laughs> Governor LePage was twice elected governor uh, receiving less than 40% of the vote both times. Mm. And what he has done to the people of Maine, how he's embarrassed uh, the people of Maine, that's exactly what happens when uh, you divide up um, the thinking voters. Uh, mm. And that's why you, know, you had uh, the Democratic nominee, and then you had uh, an independent who yes. uh, had a record of being involved in the progressive movement, movement in Maine. Uh, you know, there was a Republican governor elected um, when uh, Howard Dean left as uh, governor of uh, Vermont, and it was the same situation where uh, the progressive vote was divided. Yes. Um, I, I'm very much uh, in favor of people expressing their opinion and taking their vote seriously, uh, so I'm not going to tell people how to vote, uh, but I would hope that they would uh, consider uh, the realization that... that uh, what could happen because of that? I think uh, I, I, if I could, I couldn't possibly count uh, how many people have come up to me uh, over the last 16 years that had voted for Ralph Nader yes. in New Hampshire yes. uh, and just had no idea. They, they didn't think New Hampshire was going to be close, so they didn't think it mattered. Uh, and uh, Ralph Nader got uh, you know, 21,000 votes, and uh, Al Gore lost the state by 7,000. And, uh, you know, even if just half of them had uh, voted for Al Gore, uh, we would not have had the Iraq War. We wouldn't have had the collapse on Wall Street. I mean, and on and on and on. We, yeah. we all know exactly what happened yep, uh, for those eight years. Um, and it was right here in New Hampshire. Uh, Florida, we never would have had the recount of Florida. Right. Uh, there would have been no need for it because New Hampshire's four electoral votes. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen uh, a week from uh, uh, today, but um, I, I think that you can um, never take anything for granted. Uh, and I think that everyone uh, needs to search their soul uh, and look into their heart and uh, come up with, with you know, what they think is the best uh, for them and what's best for the country and, in, in fact, what's best for the world. Um, I am uh, seriously frightened uh, yes. over the prospect of a Donald Trump presidency. And uh, I don't usually say that. Um, uh, if you go back to, you know, 76, Jimmy Carter and Gerald Ford, or you know, you, there were so many elections where, sure, we supported our candidate, but we didn't think it was the end of the world uh, if the Republican uh, yeah. was elected. This truly could be the end of the world 
uh, with his fascination with nuclear weapons, uh, his uh, really creepy relationship with Putin. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm glad that the FBI is, is uh, you know, coming out slowly, I guess, about the, the Russian hacking, because, you know, I got briefed on that in August, and it, 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 it is frightening. Um, and um, yeah. I, I just hope that we don't reward this sort of behavior of, uh, and I know people who don't know all the facts or think, oh, that's just crazy talk, but mm. uh, it, it is very serious and, and very frightening. It really is amazingly frightening. It's beyond my belief, really. I mean, President Obama fairly recently said that, yeah, he ran against, he beat McCain in 2008. He beat uh, Mitt Romney in 2012. But he had respect for these people. He felt like, yeah, I disagree with these people on issues, but they're competent. They're qualified to be president. It amazes me how, frankly, anybody uh, can support Trump. But there's this change thing. And if you, if you just tuned in, dear listener, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest today is uh, Raven Buckley currently chair of the New Hampshire Democratic Party, keeping, oh, just a little bit busy these days. <laughs> it's, it's really been unbelievable. But, you know, how did, how did this happen, do you think? I mean, what happened to the Republican Party, that they went from people who were clearly qualified uh, to, to somebody who is, I can't imagine anybody really thinking he's qualified. They had, what, 17 candidates running this year? What happened to the Republican Party such that they ended up with a, a reality TV star, a guy who is a very nasty person who has acknowledged that he's committed sexual assault? How did this happen? What, what are your thoughts on this, Ray Buckley? Um, I think the start uh, of this uh, started was uh, in 1988 uh, hmm. with, the, with uh, Lee Atwater uh, and what was happening uh, with uh, the shock radio um, hmm. and the sort of attack uh, conservative movement. That, uh, when I first started listening, uh, uh, Rush Limbaugh was on a radio station in Manchester in 1980. I, I, I swear to God, I thought it, he was a comedian. <laughs> I didn't think people actually talked like that. For well, he's an entertainer. Like yeah. Uh, and that sort of paranoia, uh, the sort of uh, just complete uh, unhinged um, hatred towards anyone that's not like uh, them, uh, and, and the sense that everyone is out to get you uh, is, is uh, something that they have been nurturing and nurturing and nurturing, and it's been building it. Uh, but, but, you know, the bottom line is, even with all of that going, uh, a strong Republican Party uh, would have sensed that this was happening uh, last fall uh, and taken some sort of action and tried to get some of the more rational uh, candidates uh, out of the race. Uh, because the fact is, is that if um, Donald Trump had only had uh, two or three opponents rather than 17, right. uh, he would not be the nominee. I agree. I agree. And it's funny, I, uh, you know, having been a former state senator in New Hampshire for quite some time, I know a lot of Republicans. Most of them you know, are decent people. And all the, uh, shall we say, establishment, uh, sane Republicans, they were all for Kasich. 
every one of yep. them that I knew, I think he would have been a lot stronger candidate. And I note, by the way, that he cast his vote. Uh, he, he wrote in McCain. Uh, it looks to me like he's running for 2020. <laughs> you know, he's, the, the Republican Party, I don't know what's going to happen to that, but, but clearly uh, uh, Kasich, I think, is uh, making his bets with the more sane side of the Republican Party. I just wonder what, you know, he's incredibly sexist. He treats women very badly. Um, after the election, I wonder about November 9th, now, of course, that's the day you and I, Raymond, want Republicans to get out and vote on Wednesday, November 9th. But uh, in all seriousness, what if, you know, I, you know, he has encouraged violence. He has encouraged hatred, uh, encouraged racism. I wonder if how do you have a worry about November 9th? You know, if they don't win and, you know, Trump's people keep saying, the election is rigged. It's not a fair election. Do you think there might be riots and violence in the streets? I'm really concerned about that. I, I think that, that there is um, a, a need to be somewhat worried either way, uh, whether he wins or, or not win. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, if, if he doesn't win, uh, then obviously there's going to be some significant anger. Yeah. Uh, but if he does win, mm. uh, does that inspire this hatred and this sort of behavior as being normal? Uh, when they had, uh, there was these, uh, in the South, uh, last couple of days, uh, there was a picture taken of a house with a Trump sign in front of it, and they had hanging from the tree, uh, two scarecrows, uh, just to be African American, hanging oh from the tree. Oh my God. Uh, and, and that's in front of their house. Um, the, there's a house here in Manchester, uh, that, that has, you know, Hillary, uh, you know, a figure made up to look like Hillary uh, in bars. In the visibility of, of the Republican Party in Windham uh, over the weekend, they had a, a cage that had her in bars. This, this sort of behavior that despite the fact that she's actually never committed a crime, right. uh, but she needs to be put in jail, uh, that sort of uh, ferocious uh, behavior um how does that affect the children? And my yeah. the reason I was even bringing this up was that, you know, last week when I saw that horrid story out of Mississippi where a group of uh, white teenagers put a, a noose around this other black teenager, mm. um, you know, I, I spoke to the Mississippi NAACP president uh, on Tuesday night over it just to express my just shock and horror. Yeah. Uh, here, Here's what um, has, I think, done a lot to... Um, hurt uh, our, our souls almost is that following the 2008 election, so many of us um, mm. really believed that America had turned uh, a page oh, and had moved on. Yes, uh, that the that uh, the Obama campaign was one of hope uh, and promise, uh, and there was um, just such excitement about the history that we were making. Uh, and within uh, just days after the election, it started uh, the night of his inaugural. Republicans gathered and to say that they were going to stop everything that that he proposes. Uh, at what point is the country less important than your own personal political power or financial resources? And, and until the Republicans come to 
grasp that, 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 that there are, there's something bigger than their own wallet or bigger than their own ego. There's actually the country, uh, and, and our future. Uh, and that they're unwilling to, to work, uh, with, uh, potentially, I mean, we've already heard that if there's a Republican Senate, uh, that they will not, uh, uh three Republican senators have now come forward saying they would not vote to confirm any nominee by Hillary Clinton. Um, this is treasonous as far as I'm concerned. It, it is so, th- th- no presidents have been treated, uh, the way that, that the Republicans are doing it right now. And yeah. that's why everybody has to get out to vote. Uh, and we've got to make sure that it, it, that not only do we elect Hillary president, but we've got to make sure that we elect a, a Democratic Senate. You know, I still think crucial. that it's, it's possible. I think that it's out there. Uh, and I just think people need to show up and vote. Yes, they do. Uh, it's, it is amazing. It's incredibly disquieting. I grew up in the 1950s. Everybody had deep patriotism back then. We really did. And certainly in, in 2008, I was so naive. I thought the fact that we elected a black president might actually cut down on racism, you know, and and it might be a step against racism. I'm just I'm still in a state of shock at the reaction that there was and the whole birther thing that was racist. And Donald Trump was very much behind that. The ringleader. The ringleader. Yes, indeed. And how I actually I, I must tell you I was flying out of Manchester Airport this past weekend here in New Hampshire, and I ran into a a woman who was uh, clearly uh, not of high income, uh, working there at at a counter of some sort, and she said she was voting for Trump because she wants change. She wants change, so she's voting for Trump, and that's about it. It just. Raymond, what do you make of the, the, the fact that the, the whole sexual assault stuff, that he, he kind of takes pride in sexual assault? How, how is it that that, I mean, my sense is it's not really moving the needle. It's not really changing things. That it does, what do you, what's your sense of that? Why, why don't people care about that? I, I think that, um, that the world has become very, uh, tough, you know, as the world got with with the sense of the internet, uh, with cable news, uh, with, with being able to have information instantly, uh, the people's lives um, have been bombarded with all this information. Uh, and a perfect example uh, is that when you see polls in New Hampshire, while two thirds of people say that New Hampshire is heading in the right direction, there's anxiety. Uh, about um, jobs and the economy. Uh, New Hampshire has an unemployment rate of 2.9%, but there's still that anxiety. And I think it is because we are watching the 400, 500 television stations on our TV. Yeah. We're, we're reading all this information. We're reading blogs. We're all, so that if there's, there's something really bad happening in some other part of the country, you actually feel like it's happening in your neighborhood. Uh, and so it, it, and there is a, um, temptation, uh, by, uh, by some, by either the media or, or by those who, who, um, live on the internet to always create some sort of hysteria about yeah. everything. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I, I think that, that people are just overwhelmed. I, I think they're overwhelmed with anxiety, with fear, yeah. um, that, that, you know, so many folks were, 
taught growing up that Republicans were the fiscally responsible party and the party that would keep us safe. Well, uh, it has now been proven over the last 50 years that if you want a lower deficit, you want a better economy, and you want peace, you elect a Democrat. So I, I think people, you know, are, are just not able to really process um, what they'd been sold versus what they got. And it's just, it's very hard. In, in, in some instances, it's easier just to hold on to those uh, beliefs that they had right. uh, growing up, even though it is factually untrue. Well, it's like so many people actually believe in trickle-down, that that's a legitimate economic theory, that trickle-down oh, is going to work. It's just so awful. It's re- Trickle-down has never, ever worked, and yet people want to believe that. And you mentioned fear. You know, when Franklin Roosevelt, one of our greatest American presidents, I suspect you agree, said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, this is what he was talking about, that, you know, fear can be manipulated. Fear is being manipulated. Fear is incredibly powerful. And the, the media are playing on this, and they're just having a ball with this because, hey, it boosts ratings. And <laughs> Trump has talked about, you know, just the theater of it, the whole circus-like atmosphere of it. Hey, it boosts ratings. People pay attention to it. I, I remember once, uh, many months ago, somebody saying on, on Facebook in a discussion, why would they want to watch a Democratic debate? It's boring. Well, excuse mm-hmm. me, does it have to be exciting? <laughs> I mean, we're talking about running the country here. I got to ask, you know, the big thing that's come up in the past couple of weeks, of course, is the whole uh, uh, Comey thing. The, uh, you know, the re- release sort of, I mean, he wrote a letter to Congress saying he's got more stuff that may or may not relate to Hillary Clinton. Uh, what do you, What do you think his intent was it appears to me he was trying to get involved in the election which is a huge violation of the hatch act how how do these uh, anthony weiner emails somehow affect hillary how do you, you know what's your take on all this how is this going to play out it doesn't i my sense before you answer it doesn't seem to have moved the needle all that much what's your sense of this no it well the you know, our internal numbers, uh, it, it has not actually intensified some support for, for, for Hillary here in New Hampshire. But um, what, uh, when I was just a few minutes ago talking about people not being able to process, yes. um, I can't process why somebody who holds the position of director of the FBI would purposely uh, uh, put themselves in the middle of the presidential race uh, 11 days before uh, to clearly uh, have an impact on the race. There's no other reason why that letter was sent. And to tilt it towards somebody as dangerous as Donald Trump. That that makes me very anxious about the FBI. Uh, because why, why would he... Uh, Donald Trump is not Mitt Romney. He's not George W. Bush. He's He's not John McCain. He, you know, he's not Bob Dole. He's not George H. W. He's not even Ronald Reagan. I mean, he is not any. This is a dangerous guy yes. that is on the other side. Yes. And the director of the FBI feels that he needs to jump in because Hillary was, you know, taking off. I find that very uncomfortable. It's really, really strange, and we don't even know 
if there's anything in there. My guess is, as Hillary has said recently, and her surrogates have said, there's no case here. I'm guessing there is no case there. It's 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 amazing to me that that he could do that, that James Comey could do that. I I just, but I'm glad it doesn't seem to be affecting him. I mean, certainly the people who hated Hillary say, oh, emails, Hillary bad. You know, in comparison to the other stuff, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, <laughs> look at Trump's record. Why, one question I have, and, and a lot of the pundits have been saying this on, on the uh, national TV stuff, that the Comey uh, release action bizarre thing might be actually affecting the down ticket races. Can you explain that one to me, that it wouldn't affect the Hillary versus Trump race, but it would affect the Senate races? Well, you know, there's been some some national reporters saying that, uh, but they're also the folks that will completely change their position uh, tomorrow if there's a new poll. Um, all I know is what I know from here in New Hampshire, uh, and uh, it has not had a negative impact uh, in any way. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Governor Hassan uh, still has a, a slight uh, edge over um, Senator Ayotte, uh, and that has continued uh, to be the case. It's going to be a very uh, a tight uh, race, as far as we can see it, seven days out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I, I hope, I can't imagine why it would affect the down ticket races, except, you know, if people somehow think, I mean, I'm just trying to work this through my head, say, well, we're not going to, you know, it's not going to affect Hillary, but I don't want her to have that much power. I just, I don't get why they're saying that it could, uh, you know, affect the down ticket races. And they're extremely important. One of the things that Trump has been saying, you know, among many innumerable crazy things that that the media can't help but say, I mean, I read something the other day, uh, just after Trump had said something, the reporter said, well, there's absolutely no evidence for this. I mean, that wasn't an opinion. It's just stating a fact. There's no evidence for whatever the heck he was saying. Trump has pilloried the media as being part of the Hillary Clinton campaign. I see some people seem to be buying that. It seems to me, Raymond, that the media created Donald Trump. I mean, you know, you remember early in, in you know, in 2015, 2016, uh, he was selling uh, advertising. That's what the media seems to be about. The journalists, you know, they, they just work for their advertisers. So it seems. What do you think he's, is, is he doing that, do you think, the, the Trump team uh, claiming the media is biased as a way to discredit facts so that people will not believe anything they hear from, I mean, why are they doing that, do you think? Really? It, it, it is de- definitely intentional. Uh, it is based on uh, continuing that sort of paranoia that everyone is against you and your family. Uh, and so don't believe anything they say to you because they, they really aren't for you. Um, Donald Trump, whether he wins this race or not, yeah. um, will have a following. Mm. Uh, there are a lot of people that suspect uh, that he's going to create um, a very significant and powerful media conglomeration uh, following the election with all of these supporters. Um, as you know, a presidential campaign ends up with millions of, of email addresses, millions of, of uh, oh, contacts. Uh, he will have uh, the ability to become a very, very powerful voice uh, oh. very quickly uh, and stay in touch with them. Uh, because, you know, as we now know, you know, 
in the old days, being able to send a mailing, you know, cost 50 cents, you know, yeah. you have to have it printed. Like now, an email, uh, essentially free, uh, you know, sending out an email out to, you know, a couple million people. Uh, so it's, it, you don't need to have, you don't need to spend, you don't need to have uh, an enormous amount of resources to have a uh, serious impact. Yeah, and he intends to do that. Clearly, there was a New York Times article about he he can't stand failing. He just he doesn't accept anybody not succeeding in anything. It's a little bit unhealthy, I think. And talk about the media and and any bias or anything. Trump has had a lot of legal battles. Do you hear about it? I never hear on the national media about that. What do you make of that? I mean, all kinds of things. Well, there, Go ahead. There, there's so many of them that um, <laughs> I I sometimes hesitate to either retweet them or post them because I'm wondering if they're real because there's so many. <laughs> and then when I see people who I, you know, would trust with my life commenting on it, I'm thinking, really? I mean, not so much of it's not being reported in uh, the national press in, in any way. Um, and uh, that that's, it has been just bizarre. I mean, just in the last 24 hours, three different, explosive issues have landed on top of them, uh, whether about, you know, going around taxes and uh, having some sort of a, a secret server directly to Russia. Mm. Uh, wow. I mean, it's just all so crazy. And I understand he, Trump hired a pollster and has refused to pay the pollster. Because he wasn't giving them good results. <laughs> Can you believe that? How oh it, God. it's... You know what? I'm still haunted. I drove by a Trump rally a couple weekends ago here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and there were people bringing their young children in to see him. And I mm-hmm. thought, oh my God. Oh my God. This is a role model? It's, I mean, he's just absolutely full of hate. But other issues, uh, you know, in New York City, it's well known that Trump stiffed the people who built his buildings. He doesn't pay them. Uh, it's it's just one thing after another his uh, his legal issues, and yet it just it's bizarre to me how that doesn't seem to uh, get traction. People aren't paying attention to that. I should tell you, Ray. I heard from somebody. You may not have heard this. It's not often that I have something that you haven't heard because <laughs> you're pretty good at that stuff. Um, that uh, I was speaking to somebody who really knows such things. And he said, apparently, Donald Trump held a beauty pageant, which is a bizarre thing in the first place, in Russia. And that somehow Putin, you know, has something on Trump because he held a beauty pageant in Russia. So, you know, maybe Putin has some power over Trump on this. This is a big deal. I mean, Putin is not, you know, he's, he's not a good guy. <laughs> No, he is, he is not a good guy, and uh, it, it is, it's very, very frightening. Yeah, it really is. If you just tuned in to Keeping Democracy Live, your host here, Bert Cohen, our guest today, an old friend, Raymond Buckley, chair of the New Hampshire Democratic Party. And I have to give you credit. Uh, the National Democratic Party, look, as we know it, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, as chair of the party, uh, was not neutral. She was supporting Hillary Clinton. Raymond Buckley as chair of New Hampshire. The Bernie people know for sure he was very neutral, as he should have been. Congratulations, and thank you for that again, Ray. Um, 
can, now that uh, it's been revealed, and this is from a listener, now that it's been revealed that interim DNC chair Donna Brazile used her position at CNN to unfairly advantage the Clinton campaign by leaking debate questions. I'm not sure about that, but that's part of the question from the listener. Will the replacement of Debbie Wasserman Schultz also be replaced? What do you say to people who believe firing Wasserman is even more meaningless given that she was replaced with someone who is just as biased? What's your response to that question from a listener? Uh, well, the uh, what, what occurred at the convention was that when uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz uh, resigned as chair of the DNC. Uh, well, let's back up. When you when you are uh, elected uh, chair of the DNC, or you're serving even as an interim chair, you designate one of the five vice chairs as your first vice chair, essentially the person that would replace you. Um, so uh, Debbie had uh, picked Donna Brazil, just like uh, Tim Kaine had. Uh, and and perhaps others uh, mm-hmm. before uh, may have. Uh, so she was the senior uh, vice chair of all of us. Uh, so when Debbie resigned, there was no election, uh, and that's uh, the, Donna became the chair as the in, as the interim chair uh, of the party. And um, I, you know, I have known uh, Donna. I, you know, she ran the Gore campaign. Um, was you know very involved. I have known her to be um, one of the most passionate and fair uh, people. Uh, when I read uh, Simone uh, Sanders' uh, comments about uh, Donna, Simone was the press secretary for the Bernie campaign, uh. saying that she absolutely believed that uh, Donna was fair. I, I think you know Donna originally said that she has all sorts of conversations with uh, the campaigns, uh, offering uh advice and, and information tidbits, but nothing uh, that she doesn't give to the other. So I don't know the whole uh, story uh, regarding uh, regarding the situation. Um, but when, you know, Bernie Sanders himself, when it first came out uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was with Bernie and Donna uh, here in New Hampshire, uh, in Nashua. Uh, and uh, they had a, a, conver- you know, a conversation and uh, I think that Bernie is very uh, satisfied with uh, mm-hmm. the, how the party has uh, really changed direction uh, in the last couple of months. Yeah. So I, I don't know all of, you know, it, it, did I talk, you know, my, my situation here in New Hampshire is that the, the state directors uh, for the three campaigns, the Malley campaign, the mm-hmm. Bernie campaign, and uh, the Hillary campaign all had worked for me. So I had... Lots of conversations uh, with them. Nothing that would uh, impact anything, but it would be, oh, you know, um, Bernie wants to speak first. Is that okay? Uh, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, so, but if they were taken out of context, would uh-huh. that look like I was setting it up? I, you know, I, I would hope not. Uh, but uh, that's, you know, that, 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 that's, that's the problem with reading illegally taken emails that you just don't know exactly what's true and what's not true and what context it was or what other conversations were had. Um, I, I do know that I went through every single one of my emails uh, over the last couple of years just to prepare myself, uh, <laughs> assuming that they had gotten into my email. 
uh, and I was astonished at how boring I am. Um, <laughs> and and uh, I, uh, you know, there just wasn't there wasn't anything there. None of the none of the conversations with anyone at the DNC or anyone no, with sure. uh, any of the campaigns that that you know I didn't think that that uh, would be a problem. Yeah, it's amazing how focused we get on on these little things. The emails. I mean, I, you know, people. So many people uh, think, oh, emails, Hillary, bad. Huh? What? How did? What? Uh, you know, I just it amazes me really. But you know, one thing, the DNC. Let's face it, had a problem in in twenty sixteen. It, you know, Debbie Wasserman Schultz uh, tilted the campaign uh, apparatus toward one particular candidate. It wasn't neutral. The party structure has always been neutral, and it needs to be neutral among Democrats, of course. Ray Buckley, can things have happened to address that, I believe, things that you are probably aware of. Can the public, can Democrats be assured that the party, uh, it, it, that, that neutrality will be uh, the operating rule as we move forward into 2018 and 2020? I, I would uh, hope uh, that anyone that chose uh, to uh, be the chair of the DNC or anyone hired to be in a senior staff position at the DNC or in any state party uh, of either party uh, would adhere to a uh, neutrality uh, standard uh, of the highest. Yeah. Um, we had a very unique uh, situation uh, where the chair uh, was uh, selected by the White House uh, and not by the members of the DNC. And hmm. so you had a chair that was not, uh, did not have to be responsible. Uh-huh. Um, you know, uh, I, I take uh, my role as chair of the state party um, very seriously. Of course. And uh, I meet any member of the state committee that wants to come in and meet. I, or if I see something that they posted or written, I try to reach out to them to encourage them to come in to talk to find out what what their uh, issue is, and uh, oftentimes it's just misinformation or something that they read or yeah. or uh, or heard uh, third or fourth hand. Um, but you don't have to do that if you uh, feel that you don't aren't responsible for you know the the members of of your community, the members of your party, uh, and the part of it was. And you have to be honest that you know Debbie was never involved in the Democratic Party. Uh, she. Hmm. Uh, worked for a legislator in Florida. She then, uh, he retired, she ran for the seat, then she ran for the state senate in Florida, and then she ran for Congress. That's, that's, that's her, her extent of her political biography. Oh, interesting. And, you know, for somebody like, uh, you know, me or, or, you know, someone who served as state chair, um, you know, I've also served as, you know, county chair for uh, a, you know, city chair, I've, you know, been at every level of the party. And so I think that there's a different sense of, of responsibility, I guess, to the grassroots, uh-huh. uh, to the state parties, uh, to yeah, uh, the members of the DNC. If you've been involved in the party and you respect the party and you respect the members, um, it's, it's easy to, to think that, you know, oh, I got myself elected without uh, any support from the party, so I don't need to pay any attention to them. Uh-huh. I don't think that's a... A, a good thing in any way. No, I'd say not. And let me ask you this. What happens now with uh, the uh, position of chair of the DNC? A lot of people who know you would very much like to see you 
as chair of the DNC. I imagine it pays more than New Hampshire does, too. What 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 happens next with that? Is there any possibility of a, a national head of the uh, DNC, Raymond Buckley? Well, I I think that uh, President Clinton, uh, she will you know make her determination uh, of which uh, of the people that are being mentioned uh, is uh, you know best uh, to to lead the party uh, for the next four years. Uh, so that will be you know her decision. She'll make a recommendation to the full. Uh, membership of, of the DNC. Uh, I don't think there's anything special about me uh, in particular. Uh, I, I think that what's more important uh, is the reforms uh, that are so necessary, in not just within the DNC, but uh, all of political D.C. Um, there mm-hmm. is a, a false belief by those who are live and operate in the Beltway that that's <laughs> elections are won and lost, and that, that, that they have the power and um, that goes to elected officials. It goes to uh, powerful lobbyists and, and heads of associations. It goes to the political parties, the committees uh, that are in, in Washington, the industry. Uh, there is this sense of uh, that they are above hmm. uh, the rest of the country. And average and, people don't like that. Well, and, and it actually is not true. Uh, and... Uh, I have been trying to change that uh, dynamic on a national level now since uh, the last 12 years. Um, I, I fiercely fight uh, for it here in New Hampshire. We'll get folks to come in, from, you know, to work on the campaigns, and and then they'll they'll contact me because I need to call a a town chair because the town chair is insisting that everyone's literature goes with the lit drop, not just the top of the ticket. Right. They go, I'm, I'm with the local chair. Sure. <laughs> you know, and they always, they never can understand. Uh, I'm always going to take the position of supporting the locals over somebody who may or may not have ever worked on a campaign before in their life. <laughs> um, and uh, Imagine that. I think that that's, that's exactly what we need to do on the national level when, and really empower uh, the local active grassroots activists, empower the state uh, committees, um, and... Uh, empty out the DNC building. And that's one of the great, great things about the Democratic Party, in my opinion. And, you know, some people on the left are, you know, very critical, but they don't realize, as Katrina Vanden Heuvel of the, of the nation has said, the party is us. The party is us. It's the grassroots. We can do it. It's up for grabs. And if people get involved, this we are the party you know they don't have to it's not all decided at the top it's not just some corporate uh, you know super wealthy people who are calling all the shots it really is grassroots it can be you know we've had some hits made some mistakes and learned a few things as we've gone along we just have a few days left before the actual election itself who is undecided at this point do you, how would you decide? Who is? I mean, I can't figure it out. How can anybody be undecided at this point? Well, I, I think for millions of people, it's easy to be undecided because they are so overwhelmed with their day-to-day life that they really haven't been paying any attention. They, yeah, they're the folks that if you said, give me the names of the four people running for president, uh, uh, would struggle to get the two. Uh, never mind all four, mm-hmm. that, that they probably can't name their governor or their senator. Uh, life is a really difficult struggle yeah. uh, for a millions of Americans, whether you're, you know, if you're a single mom 
and you're working, you know, just above minimum wage, and you're just uh, just struggling so bad just to hold it above the water, or yeah. or you've got a you know a special needs child, or you, you're taking care of your your parents. Uh, any of this stuff can be so overwhelming that you just simply don't have time to kind of stop and process uh, what's happening. Um, and then then you've got the belief that you know oh because there's so much of that going on in the national media that, well, both sides do this or both sides do that. Right. And so people just say, well, there's no difference between the two. Right. When, when in reality, we know that there's a massive difference. Huge. Yeah, that's interesting that people don't know. So how, how do you reach the, the, the people who may go vote? I mean, a lot of people don't vote, but as you're describing these working people who have, you know, just their lives are full, it's difficult. These last few days... You know, is it just going to be, you know, Trump is bad for this, Hillary's bad? Go ahead. The the answer is going back to old-fashioned politics. It's not going to be the TV ad. It's not going to be the slick mail pieces. It's not going to be anything other than a neighbor talking to them. And that is how we survived the Republican tidal wave of 2014 here in New Hampshire, by having literally thousands of New Hampshireites uh, going door-to-door and talking to their neighbors about Gene Shaheen and Maggie Hassan. And that's why I feel uh, very uh, upbeat about what we're going to do here. But we need to do that around the country. Uh, that needs to be uh, neighbors talking to neighbors. They, they are more likely to trust their neighbor telling them a piece of information than something that comes in the mail or is on the radio or on television. Uh, but it's mm. hard work to build a grassroots operation mm. and organization and, and get out there and and uh, the folks in D.C. don't understand it or appreciate it, and, and they don't fund it. Oh, that's very interesting. You're, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, yeah, when it's, it's the personal touch, just talking one to another. You know, the, the uh, people at the, uh, in the post office are just overwhelmed with all these slick flyers that they're getting these days, and people, you know, oftentimes just put them in the trash. But talking one another, real grassroots, that's where the work is, and that's, you know, that's, that's democracy. That's what it's supposed to be about. I got to ask, Jimmy Carter pollster Pat Cadell in recent days has been making the rounds on cable TV saying, in his words, the dam is about to break for Hillary. He's concerned that we might see an instant replay of the 1980 election when Reagan jumped 10 points ahead of Carter in the last week of the campaign. Well, he he did that because of that debate. There was a debate in the final days, in the final week uh, of the 1980 election, uh, and Reagan was able to come across as being cool and calm and reasoned. Um, That is not how Donald Trump came across on any one of his three debates. Um, You know, Pat Cadell has a long history of being very wrong. Yeah, (laughs) Um, that's good. When you have to say that you were Jimmy Carter's 1976 pollster, um, that's 40 years ago, mm. uh, to to uh, say who you are, uh, that you've done nothing significant in 40 years in your career, uh, <laughs> I tend not to take them very seriously. <laughs> that's true. All right. If people, I'm concerned about this election. I mean, this is, you know, America as we have known it all my life is really threatened here. This guy, you know, he's, he's truly fascist, and it's not a word that should be thrown around lightly, but the guy is fascist. He wants to be the dictator. You know, trust me, believe in me, he's a classic dictator. He's a racist. There's no question about that. 
What can the average person be doing now? I think you did sort of mention that before, between now and Tuesday, November 8th. Uh, it, it is really about uh, reaching out, talking to the people that uh, that uh, you have a relationship with you, and getting out the vote. Um, there are so many people after every election saying, oh, I forgot to vote. Oh, I didn't realize it was Tuesday. Oh, I thought it was next week. Um, It's getting out there and reminding folks, uh, having those conversations. Uh, People can literally change the world, uh, grassroots, uh, if they seize control of that. If we had every single voter, if we had every single person in America who's eligible to vote, be registered, and they voted, uh, we would have a dramatically better country. Hmm. And when you think about it, you know, people have literally fought and died and lost limbs for the right to vote. And it just kills me when people don't take it seriously, when they think, oh, yeah, why do I need to vote? Uh, young people, do you, think, do you sense young people? I mean, young people are very much involved in the Bernie Sanders campaign. What's your sense of, uh, of the millennials, as it were? Are they going to get out and vote? They were really motivated by Bernie. What's your sense? Are they going to be there for Hillary? I have been um, stunned. We have 27 uh, regional offices uh, around the state. Wow. And I've been, I've been to most of them. But in every single one of them, there's something that I have never seen. And that's a group of teenagers, either high school students or folks that are, are in the freshman or uh, uh, sophomore year in college, giving of their time. There's hundreds of them that I never saw that sort of level. Maybe you'd have one or you'd have two, but they are in groups that they they feel so passionate about climate change. Yes. They feel so passionate about women's reproductive rights. They yes. feel so passionate uh, about marriage equality. Uh, all of these issues, are, uh, you know, uh, education, uh, funding for education, oh, and, yes. and uh, all of these issues that there's such a stark difference between Hillary Clinton and and um, uh, Donald Trump that they they are out there and working their tails off, uh, and I, I've been really impressed with that. Oh, that's many of them still have their Bernie bumper stickers on their car, uh, but they are in there working tirelessly. Oh, that's great to hear. I always love to end on an upbeat note. It doesn't always happen, as you can imagine. Raymond Buckley, chair of the New Hampshire Democratic Party, thank you so much for uh, all your time here just a few days out before the election, and thanks for all you do. Thank you.
Conscience has been found. 